Okay, I think we'll go ahead and try to get started here. <laughs> Appreciate everybody being here on time. Uh, it's nice to get started and uh, be able to utilize as much time as we can. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for the abundance of your grace. Lord, we think of the fact that you have taken us who were held deserving sinners and you have made us children of the Most High God. You've given us a citizenship in the heavenly realm. You've made us partakers of your divine nature by implanting your Holy Spirit within us to indwell us. And Lord, each day you shower us with the provisions of your grace, even though we often do not see them. Sometimes we do not recognize them. But Lord, I thank you for this study that uh, we're embarking on. Lord, I pray that in the weeks ahead that we might come to see with greater clarity just what it means to be your child. That we'd come to understand the riches of your grace. And Lord, that we would come to appropriate things that perhaps we've never before appropriated because we didn't even know we had them. Lord, we want our lives to increasingly manifest forth the Lord Jesus Christ so that others might be drawn to him. Lord, I thank you that we have your Holy Spirit in us to teach us this morning. Lord, we pray that we, our hearts would be open and receptive to his ministry. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Yeah, it's not to magnify, it's to record. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not an am- amplifying one, so I'll just try to talk. Okay. Okay, today we want to get started on uh, our study of the principles of spiritual growth. Uh, If some of you don't have books, we do have some in the back. Uh, If we have to order more, we will. We want everybody to have one. Uh, Again, we're going to kind of work our way through the book as we go. If you can take time to read during the week, do so. Uh, Again, if you've had some time to think about the chapter before we come together. Uh, you may get more out of it. If you don't have time, just come and we'll we'll just talk about it. Again, I encourage you, if you have questions, ask them. Uh, I know people at times hesitate. Uh, what I've learned over the years is if you have a question, there's probably several more in the room that have the same question. And just are hesitant, uh, uh, perhaps to ask. But I'm more than, uh, willing to stop and answer questions. Um, I've been encouraged to take whatever time we need to go through this, this book. Um, you know, we're limited in how much time we have in any given, uh, Sunday morning, but they haven't said you only have X number of weeks that you can spend teaching it. So, you know, if we end up splitting a chapter between two weeks, that's okay. 
next chapter we're going to see is the chapter on time. We see that God is not in a hurry, so I don't think we need to be in a hurry uh, going through this study. Uh, the most important thing is that as we go through it, that we, we learn what the Lord would have us to learn. And, uh, you know, we've shared this book with people over the years, and, and you have some people, they sit down, and, and they come back a week later and say, well, I read it. They probably didn't get much out of it. Uh, you just can't go through it that quickly. Uh, you know, I think last week I, I said I wouldn't encourage anybody to uh, try to cover more than a chapter a week. Uh, and to take and reflect on on what's being said, to think about it, because uh, it takes a while for uh, for some of this to s- uh, uh, soak into our hearts and minds. Um, you know, Paul in Romans chapter twelve, uh, the opening verses says, uh, you know, that really the key to us being transformed is the renewing of our minds. And the renewing of our minds takes time. Our minds have been shaped and reinforced over and over and over again by the world we live in. And it really uh, takes uh, being, you know, uh, reminded of the truths of God's Word over and over again daily in order for us to learn to think differently. And so, you know, we're going to try to take our time going through this study. Uh, We hope that these truths uh, really uh, sink home and that they have their impact in your lives in the days ahead. Now he starts off with the issue of faith, and it's an incredibly important place for us to start. He says, the aim of this book is to carefully bring out some of the more important principles of spiritual growth to help the reader build on a a sound biblical foundation in Christ. He can honor no other. So the whole purpose of the book is to lay a solid biblical foundation. A foundation, really, that rests back on Christ and all that He He provides, and we're going to be looking at those very, uh, uh, important truths as we move forward. Now, He says the Holy Spirit had Paul to write uh, to each of us: "Examine yourselves whether you are whether you be in the faith." And He says. That recommendation is certainly not out of order at the inception of this series of studies. So what does it mean to be in the faith? You know, if we're to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith, what on earth does that mean? Well, to be in the faith is not simply to be saved. You know... We entered into salvation by faith, but to be in the faith is more than that. To be in the faith is to be living in the realm of faith, in the bountiful provisions of God's grace. You know, when we entered salvation, we entered into the realm of grace. And as we move forward through this study, we're going to see more and more of the, the provisions of God's grace for us. 
Everything you are, everything you have of, of any real and lasting value comes to you by the grace of God. But the realm of grace also is a realm of faith. Because everything that God provides for us by His grace, He calls upon us to appropriate by faith. And so, you know, we're going to see as we go on, just the riches of who we are, the riches of what we have. Peter tells us that we have everything necessary for life and godliness. Paul tells us that we are complete in Christ. Paul also tells us that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. But for those truths to begin to affect our daily lives, we have got to come to appropriate them by faith. And so... It's important for us to understand what faith is. You know, Paul, I'm not Paul, the writer of Hebrews, of course I gave myself away, I, I think Paul wrote it, but uh, <laughs> there's all the debates on who wrote Hebrews. I tend to think of it as Paul. Some say it was Priscilla, that only a woman could write 13 chapters and say these few words have I written to you. Uh, <laughs> but whoever wrote Hebrews makes the statement that without faith it is impossible to please God so if I want my life to be pleasing to God if you want your life to be pleasing to God You have to become an individual whose life is marked by faith. And we need to understand what faith is. And this is really at times difficult in the world in which we live. Because since faith is so important to God, Satan has worked overtime to confuse people concerning what faith is. Satan has sought to redefine faith into something that it's really not. You know, if you listen to those out in the world and, you know, the way they define faith, to them, faith is this nebulous thing of believing something just real hard that there's no evidence for, no proof for. In the book Beyond Opinion, Michael Ramsden gives some, I think, some significant insights into the, some of the erroneous views of faith that are out there in the world today. And unfortunately, some of them have even crept into Christian circles and the way believers think of faith. He begins by stating that for many, faith is viewed as a merely psychological thing. He points out that there are those who believe that faith has nothing to do with truth and reality. He goes on to state, some would argue 
that this is precisely why Christianity is called faith in the first place, because it lacks truth and reality. Is something that others are made to believe, often at a young age, or something that they are able to believe because of some need in the absence of any evidence of its, as to its veracity. Richard Dawkins, I don't know if you're familiar with Dawkins, he's kind of a rabid atheist. Richard Dawkins comments, for example, that faith is blind trust in the absence of evidence, even in the teeth of evidence. Now that's pretty much true of his faith. Uh, you know, his, his belief in no God is certainly in the absence of evidence, because there's all sorts of evidence in the existence of God. In fact, it's in the very teeth of evidence. His definition of faith, I think, goes back to his own belief system. But Ramson goes on to write, This conviction that faith has nothing to do either with truth or reality is very common. Faith is seen as a persuasion of the mind that falls short of the truth. In which case, faith is construed as the ability to believe in things that you have no idea whether they are true or not, but would like them to be. And a lot of Christians, that's their view of faith. A strong faith then would be, would consist of being able to believe in things you actually suspect aren't really true. Yet we're still firm in your convictions and the strongest possible kind of faith that you could have therefore would be knowing that something isn't true or real and still being able to believe it. How strong uh, of a faith uh, would be required for that? You know, for others, faith is wishful thinking. You know, it's just what I want. You know, it's kind of that Jiminy Cricket view of things. You know, when you wish upon a star, you know, matters, Matt, who you are, matters not who you are. You know, your wish will come true. A lot of people's view of faith is that. And because of misdefined views of faith, there are a lot of Christians out there who are... Uh, very disillusioned. Because they said, I've tried to live by faith. And it didn't work. A lot of them, the disillusionment came when someone in their family was taken deathly ill. And they said, I had faith God was going to heal them. And he didn't do it. Faith does not work. Well, their understanding of faith is skewed very badly. And it's been skewed by the world. True biblical faith must be based on facts. Scriptural facts. Romans 10.17 tells us what? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word or the statements of God. True biblical faith 
rests on facts. It rests on facts that God has revealed through His very Word. And unless our faith is established on facts, Stanford says, it's no more than conjecture, superstition, speculation, or presumption. And a whole lot of what Christians consider as faith is nothing more than one of these things. Oftentimes, presumption. I often think... She's with the Lord now, and I don't think she would mind us sharing this. Some of you old-timers know knew Sharon Lundy. Well, right after she and Jeff got married, they were living in a house out at FOA. And one day my mom and dad were on their way to town, and there's Sharon sitting beside the road with her car. And so my dad pulls over. And I ask her, what's wrong? And, you know, I can just hear Sharon. Well, Brother Barth, I I knew I was out of gas. But I had faith that God was going to get me to town. And my dad just burst out laughing. He said, Sharon, you didn't have faith. You presumed God was going to get you to town. That was not faith. You know, faith has facts to, uh, to rest on. Now, Hebrews 11.1, 1, you know, takes uh, this even further. Yeah. Oops, I went too far. Where he says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so, you know, here's faith standing on the facts recorded in Scripture. <clears throat> and as our faith stands on the facts uh, recorded in Scripture, that faith substantiates and gives evidence to things we can't see. Now, some of the things that... Uh, uh, we don't see are things that we hope for. And things that are hoped for are yet future. Again, in everyday life we use the word hope like a wish. Biblical hope is something very real that's still future that we're looking forward to. And so our, our faith at times, you know, uh, substantiates the things we're hoping for. Heaven is my hope. And my faith looks forward to that. And it brings the impact of that into my daily life. Some of the things are present realities that you and I just can't see. And a whole lot of what we're going to be looking at, <coughs> excuse me, as we move forward through this study are those things in this second category. There's a lot of things that Scripture tells us are true right now. But we can't see them. And we have to take God's Word for them. Now, 
you and I began the journey we're on. You know, uh, by putting our saving faith in the scriptural fact of Christ's redemptive work on our behalf. You know, that's how we began our Christian life. That's how we were born again. Our belief stood on the eternal fact, he says, of the redeeming death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. My salvation, your salvation, didn't, doesn't rest on some nebulous dream or, or uh, wish. Your and my salvation rests on a fact. A fact set forth in the Word of God that Christ died in our stead. You know, this is the way we began. But our faith is not intended to stop there. That same faith, that same confidence in what God said is intended to carry us forward. And so we're told in Scripture that by faith we are to stand. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. We're to stand daily with confidence in what God has said. By that faith, we are to walk. As I make my journey through this life, I'm to walk by faith in the statements of God. And by faith, we are to live. We're going to see this more and more as we get over further. You know, where Paul said, for me to live is Christ. The more I come to understand who, what the Scripture says about who I am and what I have in Christ, by faith I am to believe that. And take hold on it. So here, you know, Stanford says, this is the faith by which we began. It is the same faith by which we are to stand and to walk and to live. And then he quotes from Colossians 2.26. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus your Lord, the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Our daily walk is as dependent upon faith as salvation is. Now, since true faith is anchored in scriptural facts, he goes on to say that uh, our faith, uh, uh, certain things should not uh, guide our faith. The facts of God's Word are what should guide our faith. He says, you know, our impressions are not to guide us. George Mueller, 
said, Impressions have neither one thing or another to do with faith. Faith has to do with the Word of God. It's not impressions, strong or weak, which will make the difference. We have to do with the written Word and not ourselves or our impressions. You know, at times, our faith is guided. Well, I feel this is what God wants. On what basis? Is it based on the Word of God? Is it based on the statements of God? You know, I just have the impression that this is what what God is going to do. Again, I've seen this many times. I leave people... Uh, really uh, disillusioned about faith, especially when it's come to illnesses. I just have the impression that God's going to heal me, or God's going to heal them. And then He doesn't. And they say, well, well, faith just doesn't work. didn't have anything to rest it on. Faith, you know, I have the impression God's going to do this for me or God's going to do that for me and it doesn't happen. There's disillusionment. Rick, we could say God could heal this one and that's where my rest is. Is that right? Yeah, and, and there is, we do need to draw a distinction between having faith in what God can do and having faith in what God will do. Okay? I mean, I could drive out to the uh, reservoir and I could have faith that if God wanted to split the reservoir in half and let me drive across it on dry ground, He could. Why? Because He's proved He did it with the Red Sea. Oh, God could. But I couldn't pull out there and, and think, I have faith God is going to split the reservoir for me and so I drive off into it. Thinking it's going to split in front of me. I'll probably get wet. Probably ruin my car if I don't drown myself. See, there's a lot of things that God has demonstrated in Scripture that He can do. But he also, uh, or there are certain things that God says He will do or that He has done. And we have to distinguish those. Again, Christ is standing with His disciples one day and He's teaching them about faith. And He turns around and He points at a mountain. He said, if you had the faith of mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be gone and it would be gone into the sea. It's still there. Now God didn't say, anytime any of you want to move a mountain, you can do it. He pointed at a specific mountain and He gave them a specific promise. If you believe what I'm saying right now, if you believe how powerful God is, and if you take Him at His word, if you say to this mountain that I just pointed to, be gone, be gone into the sea, it will be gone. Not one of them believed Him. There are things God has said He will do. 
other things he certainly can do. Can God move mountains? Yeah. And he at times may do it differently than we think. Years ago I was reading the book Lords of the Earth which talks about some missionary activity in Irian Jaya, which is now Papua. In fact, just a short distance from where Matt and Emily served uh, in the tribe for many years. In fact, they knew the son of the guy, one of the guys that the book was about. And in it, you know, these two missionaries travel in uh, to this very remote area. And, I mean, it's days and days of walking to get there and to really have connection to the outside world. They needed uh, to have an airstrip. So they, uh, and, and it's mountains. So in order to have an airstrip, they're going to have to take uh, dirt off the mountains into the valley and produce a level ground for, for the airstrip. And so they start doing it. They try to recruit the tribal people who just come out and watch every day. You know, life was boring. This was entertaining. So they come out and watch. And they work and work and work. And about all they do is get the vegetation scraped off of the surface. And all of a sudden it starts to rain. And they're praying, Lord, Lord, you know we need an airstrip. You know, you know, this is necessary for us to reach this tribe. And then all of a sudden it rains, and it rains, and it rains, and it rains. And one of the missionaries saying, God, why are you doing this? We've prayed and prayed and prayed. And he said as he's standing there, the two mountains slid into the valley. <laughs> that the, the water had soaked them. And they slipped off into the mount, into the valley. They let it dry and they leveled it off and they had their airstrip. <laughs> now in that case, God wanted to move two mountains. <laughs> he wanted to move two mountains into a valley. And he, he can do it. We have to grasp that Scripture shows the capabilities of God so we can put our confidence in those capabilities but we can only have full confidence that God will do what he said he will do or has done what he has said he has done so our impressions getting back to this but that was kind of a good aside our impressions are not what is to guide our faith. Nor probabilities. He says, then two probabilities are the big temptation when it comes to exercising faith. Too often the attitude is, it doesn't seem probable that he will ever be saved. Or the way things are going, I wonder if the Lord loves me. But Mueller, again a man known as a man of faith, wrote, Many people are believing, uh, willing to believe regarding those things that seem probable to them. Faith has nothing to do with probabilities. The province of faith begins where probabilities cease and sight and sense fall. Appearances are not to be taken into account. The question is... <laughs> Whether God has spoken it in His Word. 
said it had nothing to do with probabilities. Did God say it? If he said it, we can bank on it. We can put our confidence in it. Yeah. What do you say to the person who doesn't have respect or belief that there's anything credible for Scripture? It's just another book. It's a book of fables. I mean... Everything that's been said here is predicated on Scripture. What's that? Yeah. It's predicated on the Scripture. But what do you say to the person that doesn't have that foundation or belief in Again, the Lord, I guess the Lord's just got to bring them to a place of being convinced. Uh, you know, I mean, Lee Strobel's put some good books out there that deal with uh, the issue of faith and the case. I think he has a case for faith. He has the case for Christ. I mean, he was one who didn't put much stock in the Scriptures. His wife got saved and he set out. Uh, to show that there really was no real evidence for Christ. And he ultimately got saved. I mean, it, it depends. If somebody just is really searching, I think God has a way of guiding them to it. If If their argument is that there's just no evidence... And it's because they don't want there to be any evidence. They aren't, they aren't going to see it. Um, you know, there's all sorts of credible evidence as to the uh, veracity of the word. It's out there. There's been some archaeologists who have gotten saved because they set out to prove that where the Bible said there was you know, a, a, t- a city that it wasn't there, and they went there and it was there. And you do that a couple of times, and then you think, well, maybe this book's more accurate than I thought it was. You know, there's the, the evidence is out there. Uh, for many, the rejection of the Bible isn't the lack of evidence it's a moral rejection of it. Because if it is true, then, you know, they have to acknowledge that they fall short. And, you know, uh, they have to uh, acknowledge their hopeless and helpless estate. And a lot of people don't want to do that. Uh, so everything you just said doesn't work in our soundbite culture. Everybody would have tuned out everything well, yeah. Yeah. It is the spirit of God. It's the the record here. In that, I mean, the Bible. It puts places, it puts names, it puts a lot of different things that can be used to verify its accuracy. Of course, we're going through, you know, the book of Daniel on Sunday, uh, Sunday mornings. And there are things in Daniel that in the years, uh, years uh, uh, passed by, critics would say, Daniel's off on this. He's inaccurate. 
And then the more archaeology has found, has discovered, the more they found out, hey, Daniel was accurate about this long before anybody else knew it, uh, you know, uh, in recent history knew it was true. There has been th- uh, issue after issue after issue that has been verified in archaeological finds that Daniel wrote about many, many, many years before. In fact, last week, talking about uh, where uh, Belshazzar uh, offers uh, Daniel the third position in the kingdom. For a long time, it was held, you know, uh, that Nabonidus was the, the ruler at the end. It's wrong. Uh, Belshazzar wasn't. And then they found the Nabonidus scroll and they found that he had made his son co-regent with him. Which is why Daniel could only be offered third position in the, in the kingdom. There's been time after time after time after time. If people do not, if one, if people want to reject God, they will find reasons to reject Him. Rick, could I address what uh, Brad is saying? Sure. What's the simple thing we could say to someone? I found it's this. Have you ever read it? Yeah. They've heard about it. They've yeah. grabbed what they want to hear, but they've never read it. Yeah. Yeah. They've heard those sound bites <laughs> that, you know, it's like, what was there? This book a while back with statements from the Bible. The Bible says there is no God. <laughs> That's taken out of the context of the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. <laughs> you take that little phrase <laughs> and separate it from the context and it says the opposite. And a whole lot of what people have heard is based on taking the little things out of context and throwing them out there and not really understand understanding them you know and this is another we'll probably end up finishing this next week but this is another maybe a side that i think is important you know you might wonder why on earth is faith so important to god you know why has god designed everything about our salvation to rest on faith and you know i wondered that for a while and then i had the privilege of teaching through genesis over and over and over and over again and specifically teaching genesis chapter 3 repeatedly and i think genesis chapter 3 gives us a really good insight into why faith is so important to god Because what is it that brought sin into this world? It's when man refused to take God at his word. The reason we're in the position we're in today is because Adam chose not to believe God. God said, you can eat of every tree in the Garden of Eden except this one tree. Don't eat of it. If you eat of it, you will surely die. And Satan comes in, 
just like he's doing now with a lot of misinformation. He said, nah, God's lying to you. You can't trust God. He's trying to keep something good from you. You need to, you know, basically, well, Adam, they say, you know, he looked at the the tree, it looked good, it sounded good. You know, trust your own instincts. Trust your own perceptions. Don't listen to God. And so, in reality, it was a lack of faith that brought sin into the world. That brought us into this fallen condition. And God is in the process, we'll deal with this more when we get to chapter 4, He's in the process of recreating us as new creations in Christ. And as he does so, he's teaching us to take him at his word. To not trust our senses. Not trust our eyes and ears and and, and our mind. But to trust what he says, even when it doesn't make sense. To trust him. And over and over again, he's proving himself that he's trustworthy. See, I don't think in eternity God's going to take away our will. Because if He took away our will, there really wouldn't be love. We wouldn't really be loving Him. I don't think He'll have to take away our will because He will have so proven Himself and so proven to us our inabilities apart from Him, that once we're taken out of this sin-cursed world, we will never again question God. He's working from eternity and for eternity. He's teaching us to trust Him in every circumstance of life. To look to Him, to take Him at His word. You know, I've heard people say we won't, you know, when we're in heaven, we won't remember what happened here on earth. I think that's, I think that's a lie. (laughs) If so, man, we've wasted a lot of time here. I think we'll remember our time here on earth. We'll remember the lessons God taught us. Say, we'll remember where sin took this world. I think we'll remember what these last few years have been like and the way things are spiraling downward. We'll remember uh, what a world that rejects God looks like. And we'll cling tenaciously to Him by faith in His statements. What you and I go through in this life are just part of the training process. He's putting us over and over again in situations that at times we can't handle. Where we have to rely upon Him. 
And he proves himself faithful over and over and over again. We're going to see as we move forward, you know, our life is a journey in learning to live by faith. And in upcoming chapters, we're going to see, uh, you know, Uh, statement after statement after statement that God has made concerning who we are, concerning what we have, that He's going to call upon you and me to believe Him. Not to believe what we think our experiences are telling us, not to believe what the world around us is telling us, to believe what He is telling us. Now there's... Still a bit more to look at in this chapter, a few really good statements, but we're pretty much out of time. Like I say, I'm not in a rush. Uh, This is an incredibly important chapter. It lays the foundation for the rest of the book because we've got to understand what faith is as we move forward through our study. So let, let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a faithful God faithful to your word we thank you lord that we have your written word that reveals to us the lord jesus christ lord i thank you that the unbeliever does not have to come to understand the total word of god to be saved he simply has to come to see his lost condition and believe you when you say that your answer is the death burial and resurrection of the lord jesus christ and that faith in that alone brings him into your body, into your, your family. But Lord, you don't want your children to just move forward clinging to nothing other than that. You have given us the many pages of the New Testament spelling out all the riches of your grace and calling upon us to appropriate them by faith. And Lord, Throughout the Old Testament, you've demonstrated your power. You've demonstrated your faithfulness. Showing us over and over again that you are a God that we can rely upon. May we become men and women of faith as we journey through our time here on earth. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.